Join me in turning in the Word of God to Luke chapter 22. And you know, I looked back the other day and we began, we began this series in Luke, um, in 2019. Now it's, it's taken some time and that's, I think it's good when we just faithfully work our way through the Word of God in particular books. We're going to be finished with this obviously in 2021. But what I want to highlight to you today is just God's kindness. Um, in bringing us the very text that we're walking through today, it's like the perfect text for this. Now, Chris read uh, about the triumphal entry this morning, and you might think, well, this is Palm Sunday. That's what we should be reading. Well, I want to suggest to you what we're going to be reading today is the perfect text for us on this Sunday as we're talking about the Last Supper, as we're watching Jesus in the last hours of his life. And I just want to point out to you, God is kind through three years or two and a half years of teaching through this book. He just happened to put us here today as we are entering into the Passion Week, the week of Jesus' commitment to his Father to redeem a people for himself. And God has preserved this text for us this morning. So I'm going to be reading from, again, Luke 22, if you can make your way there in your copy of God's Word. Uh, Luke 22, starting at verse 7 through verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Holy Father, we pray that together as we look into your word this morning, these words that have been preserved for us today by the activity of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that today we would be afresh uh, inspired by these words, that we would see a new a new angle to these words. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word in our hearts today that when we take communion in a little while from now, it would become fresh once again to us. Not some rote thing that we do. But would you aliven and awaken in us 
a deeper passion for Jesus Christ, a, a grander love for your redemptive plan for people like us, sinners lost who were once far away and who have now been brought near to your table. Lord, enliven this to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone together said, amen. May it be so. For a Jewish family, I'm going to give a little bit of a a backdrop to this context. For a Jewish family, the preparations for celebrating Passover were significant every year. They would travel to Jerusalem that one time of the year. That's why Jerusalem would swell to like eight to ten times its normal capacity during this particular week, uh, the week of in the, the month of Nisan, which is what we know as April. They would travel to the city and there they would celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. You remember those feasts and those remembrances were for a specific reason, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, the, the Passover meal itself had, as you know, deep and rich meaning. Each element of the meal had a rich symbolism behind it, and even the process of preparing the meal was an act of worship and adoration as the preparers of the meal were thoughtfully considering why they were preparing each element of the meal. So on the day of the unleavened bread, each family would take a lamb. Now this lamb was one year old. This lamb had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. And they would take it to the priest in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem. The priest would ceremonially sacrifice the lamb, pouring out its blood. Then the family would bring back the dead lamb to be roasted, not boiled or otherwise roasted, and prepared for the meal to be eaten that night at the beginning of Passover. The days in their calendar began at sundown. So the next day began when the sun went down. So Passover began in the evening. The father of the family would lead the family through uh, familiar scriptural readings. It was the same process every year for the Passover. So much so that by the time you were a child or maybe a teenager at the latest, you knew everything of what to expect during the Passover meal. There were prescribed readings of scripture and, and remembrances that were given in the process. You knew what would be said and would be done. However, The Passover meal before the disciples was going to be one unlike they had ever experienced before. So Luke records for us the preparations for the Passover meal. He sends Jesus, excuse me, Jesus sends Peter and John into Jerusalem. Here's what they found. They said, Jesus, how do we know where to go? When we get into the city and he says, well, when you get there, you will find a man carrying a jar. I mean, this is these are quite random instructions, like look around for a guy with a jar and then go follow him. Uh, I don't know if they said, hey, by the way, if you get nervous that we're following you, we're, we're following you because Christ told us to. I, I don't know that I would always be comfortable with that, but that's what they did. They saw a guy carrying a jar. They followed him. They went into the house. They were instructed once inside the house to ask the master of the house um, where the room was. And they would, they would say, the teacher says to you, this is verse 11, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
There'll be shown then a large upper room that's furnished, that's ready to go, where they could begin the act of worship of preparing the meal. You know, I don't know if... uh, if uh, I would imagine most of the, the ladies in this room do a, the majority of the cooking in your household. I don't know the last time when, for you, preparing the meal was an act of worship. Sometimes cutting up the carrots doesn't feel so worshipful, right? Well, that's different on this occasion. Because as they prepared the meal, there was worship in the heart. And they were doing as Jesus had instructed. So verse 13 then gives us a report of how it went. And look look there, if you would, in your Bibles. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, I want to ask you this question. Why, why do you think Jesus instructed them to prepare the Passover in, in that way? Why? Why all this detail? Why, why does Luke even record it? Why, and why did Jesus tell them uh, to do it in this way? Now, well, I don't exactly know, but if I were making a guess this morning, I would say Jesus was actively building faith in his disciples, right? He knows what the next few days, uh, even the next few hours, are going to be like for the disciples. And so he is actively building faith in them because what he tells them is, in fact, as they're preparing, they're going and following a a guy with a water jar. He's wanting to communicate something. He says, listen, I am still in control. Everything around you, in fact, he knows in the next few hours, they're going to be bewildered. Their faith will be shaken. In fact, some, those who are the most proud uh proponents of Lord I'll go with you to my death that very man Peter will deny Jesus in just a few hours one of the 12 will will betray him to the leaders I mean they their world is about ready to be rocked and Jesus is trying to build their faith even in the process of having them go and prepare the meal do you see it Would you agree with that? I know I I don't have a verse necessarily to back me up. I'm just imagining, why would Jesus do it this way? He's trying to communicate to them that, listen, I am the one in charge here. Though you might think the Romans are going to get the upper hand, though you might think the Pharisees and the religious leaders who want to do me under, you, you might think that they're having the upper hand. No, everything is happening according to plan. And I wonder this morning uh, if any of us need to hear that reminder afresh this morning. Before we get into the the ultimate meaning of the text, I just want to pause and say, you know, given given this group of people, I wonder if if we in our heart of hearts just just need to be reminded today that though our world could be rocked tomorrow, maybe you would say it's already being rocked today. Maybe that's you. I just want to point that out and say, you know, even when things according to our understanding don't seem to be going in a way that we would like them to, when, when things are happening around us that, that just baffle us and confuse us, when it appears like God is in fact not in control, Even through this word, I believe the Lord is saying to you this morning, in fact, I am in control. In fact, 
everything is going according to plan. You may not like the plan. You may be eager to get out of the plan. But he is in fact in control. Nobody, not the Pharisees, not the Romans, not the United States government, not the governor of Pennsylvania, nobody dictates to God himself. He is in control. And we can trust him. And I, that, that causes my heart, you know what it does? It, it causes my heart this morning to rejoice. As I look at you, I, I see some of your situations. I just talked to some brothers yesterday, caught in very challenging situations at their workplaces, wondering what the future holds. Wondering whether they can do what they are being required by their school districts to do. God is in control. God is with us all. And I believe the Lord just wants to remind us of that this morning. Now, we make our way to the next scene, which starts in verse 14. Let me read it there. And when the hour came... He, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, I I think anytime Jesus says something like that, we need to ask the question, okay, why did he say that? Why Why did he say, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with them? Well, I I believe because of what this Passover meal represented to Christ in that he was the very divine fulfillment of the Passover. So let's just take a, a minute or two and remind ourselves what the Passover is representing. See, back almost 1,500 years ago, the people of God were in captivity in Egypt. And you recall they were under the bondage of the Egyptians who enslaved them to build their nation. However, over those roughly 400 years that Israel was in occupation in Egypt, what happened to them? They grew, they multiplied, they expanded. They were still God's people after all. And Pharaoh became nervous with them. And God raised up a type of redeemer, Moses, uh, to lead God's people out. And so Moses' job, as instructed by God, was to go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And we know how Pharaoh responded. He, His heart was hardened to this. And he said, no way. I'm not going to lose my free workforce. No, you can't go. And God began to judge Egypt. And he sent plagues. And Pharaoh's heart was continuing to be hardened. So God sent the tenth plague and final plague, which was the plague of death. And God told the Israelites how to escape this plague of death. They were to find a pure, spotless, one-year-old lamb and sacrifice that lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel over the house. And every doorpost that was so covered with the blood of the lamb was spared the judgment of death. 
on every home where there was no covering of blood, they were not spared, but experienced God's judgment. After this plague, as you know, Pharaoh said, Enough, go, leave, be out from me. And the Israelites were led out of Egypt. And where were, they, where were they heading? They were headed to the promised land. Now, it took them a while to get there, we know. Um, and in the process, God wanted them to remember the deliverance from death that he had granted to those who were under the blood of the Lamb. And so what did he do but instituted for Israel's sake and so that they would grow in their affection and worship of God, he instituted the Passover meal, the Passover annual celebration of these things. They were, they were able to look back at how God had delivered them from the angel of death because they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. So this century upon century, year after year, as the Israelites gathered together in their homes, in, or excuse me, in Israel, uh, eventually, in Jerusalem, eventually, but as they were making their way to the promised land, do you see what was happening? Year after year, the worship of God, the remembrance of his faithfulness to rescue and redeem them out of slavery, they were worshiping century after century. In fact, this was the great moment on the Jewish calendar when, when it was a time of celebration and making your way to Jerusalem. I mean, I, again, I don't know, but I would imagine that they would see friends or people that they would, they would kind of hang out with. I, I could imagine this big celebration, this big ingathering of the people of God. Again, it reminds us of the coming ingathering, uh, and we'll get to that one in a few minutes. But but this, this great gathering, this great celebration when people would come together. So that's the history. Now, put yourself for a moment, imagine yourself as one of the 12. You're there in the upper room. There have been these kind of unusual circumstances. So, so on, on Sunday, now this is, again, Thursday night. On Sunday, as, as Jesus made his way in, there's this great celebration, palm branches that, you know, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, well, you know, they've been to Jerusalem before, but never quite like that. And so they're probably scratching their heads. Jesus has said explicitly and very clearly, repeatedly, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there. Remember Peter at one point is like, no way, that's never going to happen. And, and Jesus said, Peter, get behind me. You know, you're not thinking in the way of God. And, and so they weren't exactly, uh, how should I say, buying it, or they weren't exactly believing it in the way that Jesus was intending his plain words to come out. And so picture yourself in that upper room on that Thursday evening. The preparations have been made. Jesus is there. He's at the table. He's reclined. He's, he's with you. And now this meal unfolds that was unlike any meal before. Because as you have heard him talk about these different things, and as he begins the meal, um, it, it becomes clear that, that not everything is going to be the same here. So he says in verse 17 and 18, he says, Take this, speaking of, of the cup, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And that's a mighty curious statement because 
You've been drinking the wine of the Passover for every year for as long as you could remember. And why would Jesus say, okay, this is it. You know, not, not any longer am I going to drink this. And, and so that would have had your curiosities peaked. And then verse 19 is the doozy. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus, you've got my full attention. You didn't read the passage that my dad always read when we would do the Seder meal growing up. You're veering off the script here, Jesus. What are you you talking about? This... This moment, they would have been stunned. Because what he's saying to them is utterly profound. That all of the celebration of the Passover for the past 1,500 years is in fact coming into reality before their very eyes in that moment. Jesus is saying to them, all of those Passovers, for all of those years, They're all pointing to this very moment in history. As I sit before you, as I recline at this table, it's all coming to fruition right now. The blood of those lambs, I mean, think of how many lambs every year by every family in Israel. All of those lambs, not one of them, none of that blood could ever atone for sin. They simply pointed forward in faith to me. To God's Lamb, who would be sacrificed once and for all. And at this Passover feast, God Himself was providing the Lamb. At this feast, God Himself was the Passover Lamb. And His blood applied to our hearts. The angel of death passes us over. They had never heard something like this before. And it gripped them to the core. The Lamb of God has appeared. And he's right in front of them. And all of history is culminating in this very moment. The innocent, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. The one who knew no sin would become sin for them and for us, that they and we would have freedom from sin, praise the Lord. And it was happening right in front of their very eyes. See, this, dear friends, is the very center of our Christian faith, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. This is the center place, for we know that we are sinners are all our rebellion against God makes us a people who should be judged by a holy and righteous God. And that God would send his own son as the sacrificial lamb. Oh my goodness. I hope that you and I, we never get over that reality that God would be so kind to look at us In our estate, rebellious, turning away from God, not wanting anything to do with him. And he sent his own dear son to be the sacrifice. Where we should be on that cross, 
Jesus went in our place. Philip Bliss, a uh, hymn writer back in the 19th century, says it so concisely. I grew up singing this hymn so often. He says this, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a savior. Dear friends, this is the center of our faith. What wonder. What amazement. That God would take rebels. And he would send his own son. To take their place. And again. Picture yourself. In that upper room. Where Jesus is saying this to you. What does he do next after communicating these things? After celebrating these things with the disciples? What does he do? He, he gets up and wraps a towel around his, himself. And, and he's taken the form of yet again a servant. Washes their feet. This is an amazing savior. See, Jesus was instituting a new kind of meal. On this evening. No longer do we celebrate the Passover meal. It's a wonderful thing to do because all of the elements really have deep meaning, and and some of you do this annually. It's a great thing to do. But he was changing the nature of the meal because he's saying, Now I am instituting a different kind of supper. We call it in the modern day the Lord's Supper. It is an act of the new covenant, as Jesus says. In verse 20, he is instituting this new supper, this Lord's Supper that we celebrate not just once a year, but far more often throughout the year so that our souls can be strengthened and nourished and encouraged by Jesus himself. As we take the elements, the Holy Spirit is at work drawing us to himself and encouraging us and, and pressing us on in the mission of Christ for the cause of the gospel of God in the glory of God. See, Jesus wants us to feed on himself. Jesus wants us. He gives us this new supper, this Lord's Supper, so that we can have sustenance from himself that we might be encouraged and nourished in the grace that he provides for us. And there is this glorious response of the church to take together as one body, unified in Jesus Christ, to take together communion. And we're going to do that in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to point out one other very important thing that's happening here in the text. See, when we take the Lord's Supper as God's people, it points to yet another meal. It ports to a coming meal. And, and notice, I, I, draw, I want to draw your attention to verse 16 here. Jesus says, for I tell you, for the second time he's saying this, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so what does Jesus mean by saying this? He means that he's not going to participate in a meal like this again until the kingdom of God is revealed in all its fullness for We know what the twelve at that moment didn't know. For we know that in a coming day, all of the saints of God 
from every tribe and tongue and language all around the world. God is drawing to himself a people. He is ransoming people from all over the world. And there is a marriage supper that is coming. And in a future day, we're going to be together with all of the people that God has redeemed in heaven. As we will be together around the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, listen to Revelation 19. He says this, John records for us. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. See, the kingdom of God, it continues to roll on. It continues to advance. It is advancing even now and every day. God is still in control. His plan is coming to pass. And he is gathering the elect from the four corners of the earth toward that one day when we will all be together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, rejoicing and eating and drinking together to the glory of God alone. We'll not need any light Because the Son of God himself will be our light. He will be our all and we will be together. So when we take this communion meal, you know what we're doing? Is we're celebrating today that God is with us. And we're celebrating in advance of the coming meal when God's people will be together around the throne of God worshiping our Savior. This isn't just some rote exercise. This is acts of worship and celebration. Oh, dear friends, may it become afresh and anew to us when we hold the elements in our hands, when we take them into our mouths and we, 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 we ingest them and we, we remember the body that's been broken and the blood that was spilt so that we could be redeemed. We are just like those Israelites who were under the sentence of death unless the blood of the Lamb was applied to us. How rich is the heritage of the Christian? How full is the family of God as we together partake of these realities together? Here's our opportunity to, like the disciples, as they encountered that meal afresh on that Passover evening. We now get to take communion with God's people together as an expression of our worship, an expression of our thanks, and as an expression of our praise.